Blog Talk Radio. nationwide, all-volunteer organization. 
there are, well, we've got uh, over a 1,000 instructors on the books. Uh, in just a, a short period of time, we'll be running through the 100,000th person through the courses, and we're doubling every year. The Appleseed Project, I'm not going to tell you it's the most perfect organization or uh, or program in the United States, uh, but it is the absolute best you're going to find for giving you the uh, a rock-solid understanding of the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship. <clears throat> At the same time, we're going to talk to you about the events of April 19, 1775. That's the day that this nation was started, and that's an important date. And you'd be surprised at how many folks are not aware of the date, April 19, 1775, or what happened then. Uh, it may have some phasey rec- uh, recollection once you start uh, giving them clues, such as uh, uh, Lexington, Green, uh, the North Bridge and Concord. They may start understanding it then. But not a lot of people understand the importance of that date. Not many nations can trace their birth back to the hour and day that their nation began, but we can. So we're going to talk to you about the events of that day, uh, who some of the major players were, what they did and why they did it, what the outcome was. We'll also talk to you about what the founders saw as their vision for the nation. Now, Appleseed has no politics. <clears throat> we are uh, we have no politics. No, uh, uh, we're open to everyone: uh, men, women, kids, uh, Republicans, uh, Democrats, liberals, independents, conservatives. Uh, just like the Constitution is for everyone, so is Appleseed for everyone. We feel it's the the right of every American citizen to, uh, and and really the duty of every American citizen, to understand uh, rifle safety and how to competently use a firearm. It's part of our heritage. <clears throat> All right, so maybe you've decided that you would like to attend an apple seed. Well, it's not going to be hard because we have events occurring every weekend of the year at a location within a reasonable driving distance of you. Every weekend of the year within a reasonable driving distance of you. And that's a deal. So how do you find out how to get there? Well, you go to our homepage, rwva.org. And on the homepage... There is a row of tabs across the top. The second one from the left says Appleseed. Put your cursor on that. You'll get a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, select Schedule. That will take you to a page that I believe still has a uh, map of the United States on it. You can put your cursor on the state where you would like to attend an Appleseed. Click on that, and it will give you a schedule of the events that are occurring there. Or if you uh, 
if you want to see uh, if you're living in one of the states that uh, that has a lot of close by borders and you want to see all of the events uh, in your area, there is a hot link embedded in the text up above the map. You can click on that and it'll give you a listing of all the events that are occurring in the United States. <clears throat> once you've done that, once you've once you've found the list and you've selected an event that you would like to attend, don't just think about going to an apple seed event. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and and flip the switch and go to one. You know, everybody's lives are so filled with uh, missed opportunities and uh, and wish I would have and could have and should have. And this is not one of those events that you want to put in that list. This is one of the ones that you want to put in the list that says, done, did it, on the way to helping uh, provide maintenance and safeguarding the security and liberties of the nation. So once you find found an event that you would like to attend, there's two hot links to the right of the event. One says information. The information link, when you click on it, will take you to the event information page, and that will tell you the information for that specific event on that specific date. It will tell you where the event's located, the people to contact. It may have uh, information about hotels or restaurants and stuff in it, uh, special rules or regulations or laws of your state, etc. Then right next to that one is the hot link that says register. Like I said, once you've... Uh, once you've decided to to attend an event, go ahead and flip the switch and register for that event. You can pre-register for it, and that way you'll save your space guaranteed. Now, <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you that uh, that you don't have to worry about this because I, I would be a bit worried. I want to I want to make sure that I had uh, a reserved space there because we do have events that sell out. Once they're sold out, that's it. We can't snap our fingers and get more firing line. We've got uh, all of the line that we can get, and once it's sold out, that's done. And you'll just be an observer to that event. So go ahead and pre-register for that event. Now, the other thing that does is it lets us know you're coming. So we know how much gear to send. Uh, we know how many instructors to send so that there's a good instructor-to-student ratio. And <clears throat> since we're having these, all across the nation, every weekend, it sure helps when you pre-register because we've got a lot of folks that we've got to get uh, uh, back and forth across the country, uh, hotels and airline tickets and rental cars and you name it. And uh, knowing how many folks are coming to an event sure helps us with the planning for it. So do yourself a favor and us and pre-register for the event. Once again, don't think about Go to an apple seed. Go to an apple seed. <clears throat> All right. Uh, along that same line, uh, I want to tell the the members and the folks listening to make sure that you are planning your events out uh, as far as you can see. Now, I know that uh, for 2012, I know that a lot of the ranges don't open the books until January. But if they do, if, you're, if the books are open, go ahead and start plugging your shoots in. Uh, if you have a DAR, it's a designated apple seed ranges in your states, or private locations, 
go ahead and roll those dates out, and let's get them in for 2012. And one last thing for the uh, for the instructors and for the members, state coordinators, etc., is make sure that uh, with the onset of winter that we don't we don't start going into low gear that we don't start uh, shutting things off or going on autopilot. Uh, if you live in an area that has snow and uh, has actually has a uh, a real winter, well, uh, you live there, and you have to uh, you have to function in that weather anyway. So you might as well set some apple seeds down for the folks to be able to go to an event and see what their rifle systems do in cold weather, see what they do in cold weather. If you go to an apple seed event, I guarantee it's going to tell you a lot about your uh, uh, how much your uh, preparation is working. If your uh, rifle functions falsely, then uh, then you got a good program with your rifle. <clears throat> if things uh, don't go so well, then it tells you what's not going to go so well. If you uh, end up being cold, then that tells you about your clothing, uh, on and on. The way to find out how you function in weather is to attend an apple seed event in the weather. Uh, I doubt many of you are going to, uh, at any other time, are going to, of your own volition, going to plan uh, two eight-hour days at the range in uh, blowing, uh, blowing snow or uh, cold, drizzling rain or 120-degree heat, uh, but Appleseed does, we'll do it. We'll be out there running events regardless of the weather, unless there is uh, thunder. That's the only real weather that we uh, that we actually uh, uh, identify or recognize. Uh, let me tell you that at the beginning of these shows, as always, we're going to talk to the Alaska folks tonight, but... Uh, as always, we want to open up the beginning of the show to uh, the folks to call in and congratulate their local crews. If you have somebody that uh, uh, that just passed a PC, just got a red hat, just got uh, certified as a shoot boss, that just shot to rifleman standards, if you have somebody that's doing a great job with promotions or uh, admin, etc., this is the way to let them know that you've noticed them. And uh, the number is 
that should not be calling in and thinking part of their local crews because everybody has somebody that they want to tell uh, thanks. And uh, I'll get the ball rolling with uh, telling the folks this weekend from the shooter in the villa telling them thanks. We had uh, a shoot boss who at the last second uh, couldn't make it and had another instructor step up and uh, slide right into the role of shoot boss. And uh, that was Chuck Leeming. He did a great job. He had uh, <clears throat> a good crew working with him. And I want to tell uh, Larry Conrad, Reliable, thank you, too, because I told you he had brought his grandson for a couple of years. He was bringing his grandson to the events every time he came. And Larry, I want to tell him thanks again, too, because uh, we don't hold an event here that he doesn't show up to and help with. And he throws himself into it, full uh, full swing into it, and... He was bringing his son Andrew, I mean his grandson Andrew, to the event for a couple of years, and uh, and Andrew still's coming. He just he's busy with school right now, and <clears throat> Andrew uh, ended up becoming an instructor, uh, working through his PCs. Uh, last month he got his red hat. The week uh, he turned 15, he got his red hat, and then he had to uh, he had the last uh, the last couple of months. He couldn't come because of uh, because of school prior commitments at school. So what did Larry do? He went and got Andrew's brother, who's now old enough uh, to pay attention at Appleseed, and he shot through the weekend. And I want to tell him thanks because uh, I didn't waste any time. I had and his name's Matthew. I had Matthew get up and <clears throat> start. Uh, Start. Uh, oh, I just hit my chat, and I think it disconnected me again. <clears throat> I had Matthew get up and uh, start learning how to clear the line. So he was like an RSO in training, and uh, he was doing a great job. I want to thank all of the the folks at the event this weekend: Bill Crock and uh, uh, Thomas Gilliland. Uh, Chuck Leeming, and I know that I'm missing somebody, but I can't think of it. Oh, Hawk. Hawk Haven. Hawk Haven came on Saturday and uh, and was helping with the event. And it was really good to see Hawk Haven again. He's a good man. He does a lot for the program. He's about as rock solid an individual as you could find. and uh, And he's been working very hard for the program over the last couple of years. He was there all day Saturday, and uh, then he was there until after lunch on Sunday. And he helped out both days. He didn't have to. He was uh, uh, taking a break from his – he's got to head a conference there in San Antonio. And uh, so he ran over here real quick and helped out uh, since he was uh, well, he was about 200 miles away in San Antonio. But he ran over here and helped out, and I want to thank Ed, too. Because, uh, like I said, number one, number one, it was just good to see him because he's a good guy. And number two, we appreciate him uh, making the, the the time and taking the uh, the drive over here and uh, and participating. 
All right. So the number is 347-308-8790. And this is for you to call in and tell the folks... Tell the folks that uh, of your local crews that they're doing a great job. And like I said, the line should be uh, <clears throat> the line should be ringing off of the wall three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. So. <clears throat> call in, tell your local crews thanks, and uh, and let them know that you recognize the hard work that they're putting in. Because, as I said earlier, all of us are volunteers uh, in the program. Nobody's getting paid. Everybody is dedicating a, a huge amount of their free time. In most of the cases, it's not free. Uh, most cases, uh, folks in the program, uh, a good many of them, are uh, self-employed or they, they're working second jobs and stuff like that. <clears throat> and, uh, and regardless, they're taking the time off so that they can instruct at events, so that they can do promotion, so that they can uh, do admin or... <clears throat> help put up uh, target backers, etc. Help run events. So be sure and uh, and let them know that that you appreciate what they're doing. Okay, we're gonna tonight. We're gonna talk to the the Alaskan crew that ran the uh, event October fifteenth and sixteenth at uh, Chugiak, Alaska. Now I told them I would. Uh, uh, I told them I would do it a little bit later in the show because uh, because they're on a time uh, difference, just like the the folks in California. Uh, it's uh, 7:22 here, while out in California it's just now uh, 5:22. So a lot of the folks are still sitting in traffic. <clears throat> and some California traffic waiting to get home. So we're going to do the Alaskan folks in just a little while, but uh, make sure that uh, that you folks, well, yeah, well, actually, it will take you at any point during the show. So if any of the Alaskan uh, folks are listening, uh, you guys can call in at any time, and we'll go ahead and take you and get you started talking about it. Uh, Bob's going to call in uh, as soon as he gets home uh, tonight. Uh, but if any of the folks who attended the Alaska shoot want to call in, we'll take your calls. And if any of you guys are uh, at any time during the show, if you want to call in and uh, say thanks to your local crews, or if you want to make a comment uh, about the uh, about an event or about the show, or make a suggestion uh, about Appleseed, we'll really we'll take any calls. But uh, but we'll be talking about the. Uh, the Alaskan folks will be talking to them and talking about the Alaska shoot uh, in just a little while or as soon as somebody starts calling in because Alaska is the newest addition to the Appleseed Project, uh, the newest state to come on board 
and this is their second shoot. And both of the shoots have been uh, bang-up shoots. They've done great at both of the shoots, and the Alaskan folks are really excited uh, to to join the program, and <clears throat> we want to welcome them and uh, and give them a chance to talk about uh, uh, their experiences at the at the events because you know anytime you've got a uh, you've got a new group signing on to uh, on to Appleseed, then <clears throat> uh, they're excited and they want to talk about their experiences and want to let people know uh, how happy they are with the uh, with the events and what they have planned. <clears throat> so we'll do that as soon as they. <clears throat> pardon me. It's been a dry day here. <clears throat> the uh, the it looked like it was going to rain all day. We're still uh, at a season low for for rain. Now, luckily, we didn't get rain during the the apple seed, but we've gone. Uh, we're running into about six months now with only an inch and a half of rain, and uh, and it did look like the Saharan Desert. You know, my yard was uh, completely filled with uh, St. Augustine and native uh, coastal Bermuda, and right now it looks pretty much like the desert. There was just dirt there uh, because I I was I was watering the yard until oh, until about uh, two months ago, and then I had to stop because I'm on a well here, and because it hasn't rained, the the below ground water hasn't been recharged and I was measuring my water and it's getting lower and lower so I had to stop watering the yard and it immediately died and blew away uh, but we're hoping to get some more rain and uh, and kind of slow down the the dust here let me say one last thing uh, too about uh, folks who want to call in or <clears throat> Or uh, uh, that is the uh, the mentioning of the folks who have commercial ventures, and uh, we want to uh, help our Appleseed brothers and sisters with any commercial ventures they have. So, uh, the call screener, if you can plug in the uh, the uh, Internet addresses of the folks of the usual folks that we uh, that we push here, uh, Blue Feather Soap, and you can find them by uh, googling uh, Blue Feather Soap. Uh, she makes uh, Blue Feather is one of our uh, uh, senior instructors in New Mexico. I believe they're still in New Mexico. If they haven't moved yet, maybe they moved. Uh, I remember them talking. I think about moving to Colorado, maybe. But I'm sure that they took their soap make, making equipment with them and. She made the absolute most fantastic handmade soap that uh, uh, that I've ever had. Now, can take that with a grain of salt because I don't, don't use a lot of handmade soap, but I uh, just finished up with the last bar that I had from a couple of years ago. Uh, I had it stashed in the very back of the closet, and uh, it was a great soap, and I really liked using it for my hands because... Uh, the oils that were in it was in the soap would keep my hands from cracking in the winter, and uh, so any of the folks 
any of you guys that have any type of commercial venture and you want to mention on the show, we'll be glad to, because if we can help an Appleseed brother or sister out, then that's what we want to do. So uh, Blue Feather Soap, uh, we want to mention uh, and say thanks to the folks providing the uh, the intro music. That's uh, Poker Face, the band Poker Face. You can get them at pokerface.com. Uh, Beth Schoenberg's uh, radio station, that's uh, csctalkradio.com. Uh, we've got the Urban Survival uh, guys who are also Appleseed instructors at www.intherabbithole, one word, .com. Uh, we've got uh, the Survival Podcast for Jack Spearco. He's been on the show several times. You guys know Jack. The great uh, one-hour podcast every day teaching you how to become a better, uh, to put yourself in a better position and here's his motto for when times get bad or even if they don't. And that's the information he's given you and on the Survival Podcast. He's telling you how to live your life so that you're prepared for if things go bad, but you're still uh, making it better for you even if they don't. <clears throat> and then uh, Backwoods Home Magazine, who have been good friends to us, Back, what, Backwoods Home Magazine and uh, Masad Ayub. And uh, you can, uh, anytime you want to uh, patronize any of these folks, then uh, that's good for both of us. Uh, we'll also ro- re- uh, add another uh, company on here. Here is uh, BattleRoadUSA.com. And uh, that's a commercial venture by... Uh, Alonso One and myself, and uh, what we're doing now is we're uh, we're providing uh, we have a self defense shooting company, and we're teaching folks. Uh, we're giving uh, concealed handgun courses, and we're also providing uh, self defense handguns in uh, level one, two, and three. Uh, and uh, past that, we've got uh, vehicular defense, uh, combat carbines, combat shotgun. Uh, we have medical courses that we're running, and uh, you name it, we're running it. Matter of fact, uh, November 12th and 13th, we're having level one and level two uh, handgun. And uh, we're doing this at a pretty, uh, the, the cost is not bad at all and not for the instruction that you're going to get. Uh, Lonzo One has uh, over a 1,000 hours uh, and uh, all the paper to go with it for for handgun usage, including plenty uh, of good experience on using handguns for what they're designed for in the real world. So if you'd like to uh, attend the November twelfth or thirteenth course. I think we I think we have two slots left. Uh, as far as I know, we have two slots left. So if you'd like to go, you're welcome to contact me at uh, uh, Range Scout R A N G E S C O U T at Hughes H U G H E S dot net, or you can give me a call on the phone two five four two one seven one three two five and we can secure you a place there. Now, on December 3rd, 
uh, we're running a level one handgun course uh, for Appleseed instructors. And uh, I think we've busted off, uh, I think, 50 bucks off the the course cost because uh, because we want them to we want them to have uh, uh, the information and the skills and techniques to uh, to use a handgun and what it was to be used for, which is to fight your way to your rifle. <laughs> so that'll be December third. And uh, once again, if you'd like to. Uh, uh, take part in that course, which is going to be for Appleseed instructors, then uh, contact me at the telephone number or at the the email, and we'll get you set up. And uh, that course is kind of filling up, too. Although it's a larger, we're going to have a larger line for that. Since it's level one, uh, a lot of the stuff we're doing is not going to require you to to do as much movement. Uh, We're not clearing rooms or anything like that. We're uh, we're mainly concentrating uh, on the fundamentals of handgun usage there. So don't worry if you're not, uh, uh, if you don't have a lot of experience in uh, handgun use, then this is actually the course that you, that will fit you just perfect. All right. And as he did this, one of the units on the of Mar of Morgan's Continentals uh pulled around and and was facing was uh, trying to uh to to make a 90 degree line so that they couldn't be flanked anyway those guys started pulling back in the confusion and that was almost going to be a bad thing. Morgan saw this, though, and he got the whole line of Continentals to pull back and reform. This sucked the rest of Tarleton's guys in to the center of it. At the same time, Dickens' militia had reformed by this time. They began to uh, to attack the Continental units on the left flank, uh, immediately formed a bayonet, and, uh, bayonet line and charge. And Washington's cavalry came out and circled around behind Tarleton's folks, and they circled them in a pincher movement and captured them, captured the whole group, killed a good number of them and captured the whole group. The only people that got away was Tarleton and a few of his guardsmen. And this was after a uh, a pretty intense saber battle with uh, Washington. All right. So he destroys... Tarleton's force. <clears throat> now, I told you that uh, the same tactic was used again uh, several times later by other folks, including Green, uh, although not quite to the same effect. Well, we're going to talk about that right now. And that's the Battle of Guilford Courthouse. At Guilford Courthouse, <clears throat> uh, General Green tried to use the same tactics against Cornwallis. And I'll tell you here what. Uh, what happened. This is uh, from the Spirit of 76 Castle Books, edited by uh, Cominger and Morris. And once again, I told you that one of the reasons that I really enjoy this book is because I'm not reading what somebody else thinks happened in a battle. 
I'm reading the words directly out of the mouths of the men who were there. All right. Cornwallis, now at Guilford Courthouse, was prepared to avenge the Battle of Cowpens. Having lost his light troops in that battle, he transformed his whole force into light troops by destroying superfluous baggage. Most of the wagons, all his tents, all his provisions, except what his men could carry, and even had his rum casks stove in. To his soldiers, this was the cruelest blow of all. He was now stripped down for sprinting. <clears throat> so what Cornwallis had done was he had just he had destroyed all of his supplies. He would burned the tents. He would burned the wagons. He had destroyed all of the excess food, all of the excess baggage, uh, everything that couldn't be carried uh, on the backs of the soldiers moving fast. He would actually destroyed it because he was determined that uh, he would replace the uh, 1,000 soldiers, the light infantry who had been captured at Calpins, he would replace them by turning the rest of his army into light infantry. And, uh, you know, this is is a a questionable tactic because it does, in fact, let him move a lot faster because you you no longer have to worry about your... uh, about your your trains keeping up with the unit, you know, all you have is is what the unit is carrying. But at the same time, you take a big chance because now you don't. If there's bad weather, you don't have any way to get out of it. You don't have any extra food. Uh, you don't have medic extra medical supplies. None of that. Yeah, you know, you've burned it all. <clears throat> all right, Green General Green was outnumbered three to two. He kept the head of his pursuer, conducting a very masterly. Retreat. He actually crossed the Catawba River, the Yadkin, the Deep River, and finally he crossed the Dan River. Now, Alexander Hamilton put it this way, to have effected a retreat in the face of so ardent a pursuit through so great an extent of country, through a country offering every obstacle, affording scarcely any resource, with troops destitute of everything who had a great part of the way left the vestiges of their march in their own blood. To have done all this, I say, without loss of any kind, may, without exaggeration, be dominated a masterpiece of military skill and exertion. And this is Hamilton talking about Green's uh, masterful retreat ahead of Cornwallis. Now, of course, you're asking yourselves, I'm sure, well, what, you know, he's retreating. How is that any any masterly you know, form of tactics. Well, as we just spoke about earlier, Cornwallis had destroyed all his baggage. He destroyed all his supplies so that he could quickly pursue Green and capture him. This is while he was had numerical superiority. So Green is taking him on a fast and hard run. And as he's doing this, Cornwallis's men are becoming uh, more and more uh, tired. There's less food. There's more damage to their supplies, what they have with them, and equipment. And and he's doing it at a fast pace, and he's not losing any men. He's not uh, he's not getting stuck anywhere on the banks of any of these rivers and having to fight a battle uh, at a disadvantage. He's very masterfully staying just ahead 
of Cornwallis, leading Cornwallis on deeper and deeper. In crossing the dam, Green took with him all of the boats to the farther shore. Cornwallis had lost the race. Having rather harshly destroyed his supplies, the British commander was now forced to get closer to his supply base. He returned. He re- reversed his course and returned to Hillsborough. Green, on receiving uh, a small number of reinforcements from Virginia, recrossed the Dan, took post in the vicinity of the British Army, and harassed their communications within the country. For three weeks, Green eluded the, elect, the action that Cornwallis sought. And during this time, there was a massacre uh, by Pickens' men of a body of 400 Tories under Colonel John Pyle on their way to the British Army. Now, <clears throat> Pickens, remember, he fought uh, uh, with Morgan's men uh, earlier on at the Battle of Cowpens, and he did a great job there, Pickens and his uh, militia. Well, Pickens' men actually uh, attacked a large number of Tories, over 400 Tories that were being led by Colonel John Pyle, uh, who were on their way to join the British Army. Now, what this did, he, it, was a, it was a massacre. And what this did was it sent a message uh, throughout the Carolinas that, that the rest of the Tories who were thinking about joining up with Cornwallis had better think again. And that's exactly what they did. They stopped coming. They kind of went into hiding and kept their heads down, and they didn't help anymore because they didn't want to end up the same way that that the 400 Tories who were going with Colonel Pyle ended up. All right? So this pretty much ended all hope of the Loyalist reinforcements that Cornwallis had been depending on. And the Tories, who were now either indifferent or terror-stricken, were a very bitter disappointment to Cornwallis. When Green outnumbered the enemy, because he was getting more and more men uh, arriving all the time, Cornwallis, on the other hand, wasn't. He had the he had all the force that he had with him, all that he was going to get, he had with him. He wasn't going to get any more reinforcements from the uh, the locals, from the Tories, and he wasn't going to get any more reinforcements from the uh, British regulars. So once Green's men outnumbered Cornwallis's men. Then he got ready to give battle. On March 14, 1781, he went into a camp near Guilford Courthouse. He planned the battle after the Battle of Cowpens. He put the raw North Carolina militia in the very center. He followed Morgan's advice to put picked troops on their rear to shoot down the first man that runs. <clears throat> He's not talking about the British regulars. He was talking about the the warning given to the militia who were placed out front. They had uh, riflemen and regular Continental troops placed behind them. And they were told that the regular Continental troops had orders to shoot the first men who started running. Now, it sounds rather harsh, but they were harsh times. Uh, I don't think that, I don't think the orders were carried out very often. But just the threat of them, if just the threat of them could cause the uh, the body of militia to give one more fire before they left, before they pulled back, then that, uh, then that was good. 
The first line was reinforced by a second, 300 yards back, and that, in turn, was reinforced by a last line along the courthouse hill back another 550 yards. Green gave the militia the privilege of withdrawing after firing two rounds. So once again, he gave them the same orders that Morgan had given, fire two rounds first, and then once you've done that, then you'll be allowed to withdraw without being shot. Still, Green, uh, so what happened is Green is the militia on engaging Cornwallis' troops, they fired their two volleys, and then they rushed pell-mell to the rear. Now, Green might have destroyed the British had he been willing to throw his cavalry upon the disordered ranks of the enemy right after they began their charge, but he was reluctant to risk his whole army on the fate of this one attack. Instead, he withdrew after Cornwallis in a desperate expedient, uh, opened fire with grape shot, killing both British and Americans. So, you know, this kind of reminds me of uh, of the the movie. Uh, uh, what's the name of it? With uh, Braveheart. Remember when? Uh, uh, when the king gives the order for the archers to fire, and he said, but uh, but your lordship, won't we hit our men? Won't we hit our own men? And the king said, so we will, but we'll also hit theirs. He said, uh, arrows are cheap. So that's what Cornwallis did. <clears throat> uh, Green, after the militia, after after the militia fired their rounds and withdrew, <clears throat> Green started attacking. I mean, uh, Cornwallis started attacking. Green countered, had the British on the run. Once they did that, Cornwallis, in a very desperate measure, had his cannons fire grape shot into the whole body of the British regulars and the uh, American regular troops. He was firing grape shot. I think you guys know what grape shot is. It's... Uh, it is a big sack of lead, about the size of grapes, uh, all the way up to the size of pecans, or, or even depending on the size of the cannon, all the way up to the size of like lemons. And instead of firing one round, you're firing a big bag of uh, 100 or 150, uh, 50 or 75 caliber, or uh, uh, one inch balls. It's like firing a huge shotgun into the ranks, and he was killing his men too, including a, a, a large number of officers, of his regular officers that he killed. Cornwallis kept the field at Guilford Courthouse, but he lost one-fourth of his army, along with some of his finest officers. In his dispatch, his home, he claimed victory. But as Charles James Fox put it, another such victory would destroy the British army. Now the two commanders faced major decisions. Should each go after the other for a final showdown? Cornwallis felt he couldn't risk a stand in the interior any longer. He was, you know, he was out of supplies. He'd burn his uh, uh, his supply trains. He'd burn all his uh, his gear, all of uh, everything, and he couldn't risk it anymore. He didn't have any more supplies. He didn't have any more men to be reinforced with. So three days later, he pulled up stakes and left for Wilmington on the coast. Now, Green might have pursued him, but 
He prudently recognized that Virginia could look to Washington for military assistance and therefore made the crucial decision to move southward and reconquer South Carolina and Georgia. Hamilton, Hamilton compared that decision to uh, Scipio leaving Hannibal in Italy to overcome him at Carthage. Cornwallis felt that it would be unwise to pursue him. Writing to Clinton on April 23, 1781, he confessed, My present undertaking sits heavy on my mind. I've experienced the distresses and dangers of marching some hundreds of miles in a country chiefly hostile, without one active or useful friend, without intelligence, and without communication with any part of the country. Virginia, and a chance to recoup some of his reserves, some of his reverses and supplies, beckoned, and he quit the soil of the Carolinas for the last time. All right. Uh, Okay. I'm seeing that... uh, Okay, I'm seeing that the call screener is having some problems too tonight with this switchboard. All right, if you guys uh, go ahead and call in, I'll pay attention to the switchboard too. Yeah, I see that he's back on now. The call screener is back on, but he's saying that he's having trouble getting bumped. If he, if you, uh, if you call in and uh, and he's not there to screen you, then uh, just hold on a minute. He'll come in. <clears throat> All right. Uh, before we before we go on with this, because I want to uh, I want to to read you a little bit more about Green's uh, decisions and why he did what he did at Guilford Courthouse and uh, and afterwards. Let's uh, let's take a caller real quick and see what they have to say. <clears throat> All right, Justin, welcome to the show. Well, hello. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm just listening here and uh, running some errands. Okay. Well, what do you think about uh, the uh, – now, you're not uh, – I'm trying to think. I, I know I've talked to you several times, but I can't remember where you're from. Are you from Texas? No, I'm down in uh, Southern California. Southern California. Okay. And uh, how are things going for you guys this week there? Oh, not too bad. It's actually a uh, yeah. I think we had one event last weekend, but uh, it's actually been kind of uh, a slow month. A slow month in California? I didn't think they had Rel- such a thing. Relatively. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys <clears throat> for the job that <clears throat> you guys are doing in California because. As I tell folks all the time, California is doing a bang-up job. And, and and every time I say this, I'm not saying it to the detriment of any of the other states because all of the states are are doing a great job. I just like to mention California because uh, because they're doing uh, an absolutely fantastic job with over 100 events <clears throat> on the books for 2011. Uh, I don't know that there's any other... Uh, state that can say that 2011 was the same for them. Now I talked to Hawkhaven this 
uh, last weekend. He said he's going to give you guys a run for your money. I believe that they're talking about putting 140 events on. So that would, I guess that, that means would be California awesome. is going to have to run to about uh, 200, right? Well, if they if they got 140 events, that would be awesome. That would be great for them. Well, like I said, I want to thank uh, I want to thank you guys for the job that you guys are doing this year. You're doing a bang up job. All of the folks out in California, I'm I'm really happy uh, with you guys with the with the shows that you guys are running out in California. So. Keep up the good work, and I know that you said that uh, uh, that you were just listening and running events, so I'll let you off the hook. <clears throat> but I saw you there, and uh, I wanted to give you a chance to talk if you wanted to. Why? So, did you have anything you want to say before you go? Uh, any of the folks that you would like to say thanks to before we uh, before we let you continue on with your event with your uh, uh, chores? <laughs> oh, you know, I'd just like to thank everybody that uh, you know. Uh, that keeps a real positive, uh, positive, uh, you know, uh, mental uh, attitude about the things that are going on, and uh, you know that that goes to the shoot and 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 just you know puts their heart and soul and 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 just, you know into into the shoots that they do. You know, we're I think we're really making great strides, and uh, we need to continue to do so. All right. All right, well great. All right, well thanks for uh thanks for calling in and listening. I'm not going to hang up on you. I'm just going to uh, to put you back in the uh uh back in the queue and uh and then uh, and thank you for so as I said thank you for calling in and uh, thanks to all the folks out in California out there, all right? All right, thanks Scott. Thank you. <coughs> Okay. All right, I see some of the guys saying uh, that there is no sound, but as far as I know, uh, as far as I know, I think it's just the, uh, it's probably just the uh, the Blog Talk system. Uh, if there is, uh, if you guys can hear me, Make sure that uh, one of you guys type in the chat that the sound is coming across, because it, I guess it's apparently, uh, I guess they must be having some grief with the the system tonight, because I know, uh, I know, the call screener keeps getting bumped uh, off of the uh, off the studio page, off the switchboard. <coughs> All right. Okay, so any of you folks uh, that are listening tonight uh, from Alaska, remember you guys have uh, we've made time for you guys to call in and uh, and talk about the uh, Chugiak shoot. So please do so. Let's just uh, as soon as you get a chance. Like I said uh, I believe Bob is going to call in as soon as he gets uh, squared away there at home, <clears throat> and we'll. Uh, We'll take any of the any of the folks that would like to uh, to thank their their local crews. We'll still take them. All right. Uh, we have a couple of folks coming on in 
uh, in the next couple of weeks. Let me find the uh, the guy that's coming, the uh, person that is coming on here. Uh, anyway, we've got a couple of authors that are going to be on, and we're still, of course, waiting for uh, Dr. Fisher to get better so that he can come back with us <clears throat> and uh, and talk to us about uh, Washington's crossing of the Delaware and the battles that occurred right uh, at the end of 1776. Uh, we've got the uh, the guy from Top Shot who we're going to try and have come on. He's the uh, the Texas shooter. From Top Shot, we uh, they did a great job. I believe he won this last one, and then uh, uh, and then a, a great deal of other folks that are getting ready to get plugged in. So you guys, uh, I'll get that listed out as soon as possible, so you can look you can look at the schedule ahead of time and see who's coming on. <clears throat> uh, all right, <clears throat> let's uh, let's move back to. Uh, General Green, and uh, now we'll be talking about <clears throat> uh, we'll be talking about <clears throat> the uh, the battles that uh, that he was in uh, leading up to the let's see leading up to or uh, right after. Uh, Guilford Courthouse. <clears throat> All right. Uh, Lewis Morris Jr. of the Continental Army uh, was writing to his Running to his father, and uh, and he wrote a letter to him saying, uh, "Who was General Lewis Morris?" He wrote a letter to him saying, "You can be no stranger to the weakness and embarrassment of this army. My letters must have long since informed you. You will hear of Tarleton's fortunate defeat." and perhaps conclude in your sanguine moments that the destruction of the British Army must follow. But before this can reach you, you will hear of Lord Cornwallis's rapid movement and of our retreat through North Carolina. This will be very alarming to those at a distance and no doubt censured as a very unmilitary step. But the man who is to defend the liberties of this country and is charged with the command of an army ought not to regard the popular prejudice or the censures an opinion of the ignorant and disappointed. I'm convinced it was dictated by necessity and conducted with the strictest military propriety. The army was evidently the object of the enemy, and while we can keep that together, the country never can be conquered, disperse it, and the people are subjugated. An action in Carolina, circumstanced as we were, certainly would have involved us in this predicament. The general was well aware of the consequences, to prevent which he was under the necessity of retiring. He was closely pressed by a much superior army and unencumbered 
with an immense deal of baggage and stores. The retreat was performed without any loss, not even a broken wagon to show that we were hurried. And what makes it the more brilliant, the enemy had burned all their baggage and pursued us perfectly light. Now, this is what we were talking about earlier, about Green's uh, retreat, or as they're calling it here, his retiring uh, to another location. Uh, that they had all their baggage and gear with them, but Cornwallis had burned all his, making his a light infantry unit and pursuing them and still couldn't get to them. The military in Carolina gave us no assistance. They were more intent upon saving their property by flight than by imbibing to protect it. The enemy are encamped on the other side of Dan River and are collecting provisions for a 10 days march. It is the general opinion that they will not pursue us any farther, but file off for Halifax and New Bern in Carolina. If so, we shall recross the Dan and press upon their rear. The Army has recovered from its fatigue, and the militia of Virginia are turning out in great numbers. We shall move as light as they are, and may engage them partially without hazarding a general action. We have a superior body of cavalry. And the militia may go on without any apprehension. And if we can but turn the tide against them, I am confident a very considerable part of the soldiers will desert. Now, he's not talking about his troops. Uh, he was talking about the, the uh, British uh, regulars and the militias. He was saying he felt confident that a good number of them would desert, and uh, and end up leaving Cornwallis high and dry, and that's apparently what happened. <clears throat> we know from the record that after uh, after he destroyed a great deal of Cornwallis's uh, forces, that uh, Cornwallis's force had been reduced to such a number that he could no longer stay in the field. Like I said, he burned off all his supplies, his baggage, his everything. <clears throat> and that had caused him to uh, to no longer have a tenable position in the Carolinas. And once he left, that was it. He never came back. Uh, Gr- Green finished clearing out the Carolinas, and they began taking the fight to Virginia. Uh, all right. <clears throat> this is <clears throat> a letter from Major St. George Tucker of the Virginia militia to his wife. And, uh, Let's see, this is about, uh, okay, they're kind of jumping back and forth here. All right, this is uh, from the Southern Campaign. All right. Laura Town, March 18, 1781. 
When the cannonade ceased, orders were given for Holcomb's regiment and the regiment on the right of him to advance and annoy the enemy's left flank. While we were advancing to execute this order, the British had advanced, and having turned the flank of Colonel Mumford's regiment, in which Skipwith commanded as major, we discovered them in our rear. This threw the militia into such confusion that without attending in the least to their officers, who endeavored to halt them and make them face about and engage the enemy, Holcomb's regiment and ours instantly broke off without firing a single gun and dispersed like a flock of sheep frightened by dogs. With infinite labor, Beverly and myself rallied about 60 or 70 of our men and brought them to the charge. Holcomb was not so successful. He could not rally a man, though assisted by John Woodson, who acted very gallantly. With the few men which we had collected, we had several times sustained an irregular kind of skirmishing with the British, and were once successful enough to drive a party for a very small distance. On the ground, we passed over, I think I saw, about eight or ten men killed and wounded. During the battle, I was forced to ride over a British officer lying at the root of a tree. One of our soldiers gave him a dram as he was expiring and bade him die like a brave man. How different this conduct from that of the barbarians he had commanded. The Virginia militia had the honor to receive General Green's thanks for their conduct. Some were undoubtedly entitled to them, while others ought to blush that they were undeservedly included in the number of those who were supposed to have behaved well. I believe the rest of the Virginia militia behaved better than Holcomb's regiment and ours. The surprise at finding the enemy in their rear, I believe, contributed to the disgraceful manner in which they fled at first. But it is not a little to the honor of those men who rallied that they fired away 15 or 18 rounds and some 20 rounds a man after being put into such disorder. Such instances of the militia rallying and fighting well are not very common, I am told. Perhaps it is more honorable than making a good stand at first and then quitting the field in disorder. Hmm. Well, there you go. The militia, and, and that is that is why uh, there's a distinction between the two. When you look back at the uh, at the battles that are fought and at the the units involved, you have the Continental Army, and that's the regulars, the regular uh, American forces who were trained and who uh, who had, were professional soldiers. Uh, and in opposed to this, you have the militias of the various states. And these are the folks who would sign contracts uh, sometimes for six months and sometimes for a year, uh, sometimes for just one month, and sometimes with no contract at all. They would just gather up into a body, uh, you know, leave their homes and their their farms or their businesses. They would gather up into a body and fight. But they didn't have any training. So... When you have a group of folks who are standing there without any training and they're facing uh, a well-regulated, uh, a well-trained uh, force of British regulars, because that's the majority of the British forces were British regulars. They had some Tories who assisted, but those folks uh, didn't do a whole lot better than the American militias. 
Anyway, these folks were, they weren't, there's a different mindset. Let me put it that way. There's a different mindset between uh, a bunch of folks who are volunteers, who are volunteering to try and, and come out and defend their their homes and towns while they're not even in their homes and towns, but coming out to defend them, and the mindset of the trained uh, American regulars and the way they acted on the battlefield was uh, a lot of times night and day. Not to say that there weren't some good militia units that didn't that didn't serve the nation well, that didn't uh, uh, that didn't act in a proud fashion. <clears throat> but you also had a great number of folks who were not trained, and then that comes to uh, that brings a whole additional set of other things with it. And that means that they may not be trained in uh, in marksmanship. They're certainly not trained in tactics, and uh, they're not trained to fight together as a unit. All of this is very, very important. When you start having groups of men facing other groups of men on the battlefield, uh, the ability or the understanding of maneuver and the understanding of how to fight as a group is very important. When you have soldiers that are just fighting as individual soldiers uh, without uh, any rehearsal of tactics or training or techniques, it uh, it's a very different situation. Let me add to this too, uh, because I've meant to uh, to say something about this to you guys for a while, <clears throat> and that is uh, the studies done by uh, by the military about the number of folks who are actually shooting and the number of folks who are actually shooting at the enemy. Now, we certainly have uh, a large amount of data on this now, not from not from the American Revolutionary War, but uh but we do from World War 1 and World War 2 in Korea and Vietnam. Uh, we have a great deal of data, and even from the American Rev, uh, the American uh, uh, the war between the states, <clears throat> uh, we've got a great amount of data on the American troops' ability uh, to fire their weapon and fire it at the other side, at the other troops. Uh, I believe in World War II, you had uh, up to, uh, uh, I'd have to look at the stats again, but I believe it's up to 80% uh, of the folks were not firing their weapons. Uh, So you can have a group of of 100 men in battle. You could have it in some of the units up to 80 of those men not uh, not shooting their weapons. And of the ones that were, you have some of them who were shooting. Or, and let me say, uh, when I say not firing their weapons, I don't mean not firing their weapons. I mean not firing their weapons at the enemy. You have a good number of men who are not firing uh, their rifles. Then you have a good number of them that are, but they're not shooting at the enemy. And uh, and what this breaks down to is uh, you only have, uh, I believe it was up to 2% who were who were actually shooting with the intent uh, 
to hit the enemy. And and the amount of carnage you see from that in those battles is pretty huge. Well, that's one of the things that I, that I always wondered about. <clears throat> uh, would say even the battles of uh, the North Bridge, say. All right, you've got uh, you've got uh, five to six hundred uh, colonials, and they are within range and facing the British regulars, and you've got about four or five hundred of them letting loose at these guys. And what do we get? We got about eight or ten guys hit. So why is that? <laughs> well. It's because uh, it's been proven that uh, a great many of the folks were not shooting at their at their at the enemy. Uh, they were, but, and now the folks who were obviously did a pretty dang good job, but but a great many aren't. And uh, one of the places that you can look back and find a lot of the information on this too is even in the uh, uh, the war between the states. You can see. Folks who were going through the motions of loading uh, their rifles, but then not firing them, all right? Because they because they wouldn't, they wouldn't. You, they they I believe they found twenty five thousand. Uh, they picked up twenty five thousand rifles off of the battlefield. Uh, I believe at Gettysburg, and of those rifles, I believe that. Uh, I'd have to look at the data again, but uh, I believe up to uh, 16,000 of them uh, were unfired. They had a round in there, but it wasn't fired. Uh, then they had another uh, couple of thousand of them uh, that had uh, more than two or three rounds loaded, one on top of the other on top of the other. So the guys were putting their rifles up to their shoulders, but instead of pulling the trigger... They were bringing it back down, pouring powder in, putting another round in. So they were going through the motions, but they weren't firing. They found uh, they found quite a few with up to 18 rounds loaded one after the other after the other. Now, for some of those rifles, you could say, well, you know, they probably loaded it and they were getting ready to fire it, and they dropped it when they got shot. You could say that, but that didn't happen. Uh, for 16,000 of them, all right? That is a lot of folks who didn't want to kill another human being. And uh, and we found that out in World War II by asking the folks in their units, by asking the people <clears throat> uh, to to talk about the battles that they had been in, and to look at the folks uh, in the foxhole with them, if they had been shooting, if they hadn't, and uh, and they found that uh, a great number of the men were not firing their weapons. Of uh, the folks that were firing them, a great number of them were not aiming at the enemy. They were aiming either in the dirt or in the air somewhere. <clears throat> the only place that this wasn't true in the majority of the cases, is crew serve weapons. That's because you got two guys, and they're facing each other, and uh, there's no way of uh, 
of hiding what they're doing. You've got the one guy looking at the other guy, and uh, and they're firing, and they're going to have to they got to be hitting something because the other guy's looking right at them. That and then the sniper units uh, in uh, uh, the war between the states, World War One, World War One, World War Two, uh, because those guys had a different mindset. <clears throat> anyway, I just thought that that was a uh, uh, some information that I wanted to give you because uh, because. of the, uh, uh, the the number of folks who were hit and the number of folks who were shooting in some of these battles. Now, I know that uh, uh, with these smoothbore muskets and stuff, you don't, uh, you, you don't have a great uh, deal of accuracy. <clears throat> but there were other reasons involved. All right, uh, uh, Bob 210 from out in California is called in, and uh, he was at the Chugach, Alaska shoot, and I had asked him to call in and talk about it, and uh, and he has done so. And Bob, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Scott? Good. You make it home okay? Yeah, yeah. I just walked in, so I thought I'd give you a buzz and uh, kind of give you the lowdown on uh, another excellent shoot in Alaska. I'll tell you, the the heart and the spirit of the folks that we meet up in Alaska is, is truly outstanding. Um, just just wonderful folks all the way around. We had a lot of new faces. Uh, we had definitely some uh, repeat folks that came to the first uh, Appleseed and Chugiak that returned for the second. And uh, although we had some cold temperatures by my standards, being in Southern California, <laughs> folks up there were saying it was fairly hot. <laughs> what were the temperatures? Uh, it, was, uh, it was actually in the 40s was the high. When we first got there, uh, the day before or two days before the shoot, uh, there was some uh, some snow flurries a little bit in the evening. I mean, it melted when it hit the ground, but there was a little snow flurries in the air. But we didn't have actually any snow during the apple seed. Uh, Saturday was just cloudy and cool, but uh, Sunday saw rain. So no no snow, unfortunately. Well, I can understand because... Uh, you know, here in Texas, we probably not much different than you guys. We had uh, uh, almost 100 days uh, back to back of uh, over 100 degree weather, and uh, and then uh, when I went out to the uh, Pecos Run and Gun, and uh, the temperature dropped down to uh, 51 degrees at night, I thought I was going to freeze to death. <clears throat> so, yeah, oh sure. Folks, that, uh, we had just left Southern California, and it was, we were having 100-degree weather the, the day that we left to fly up to Alaska, and uh, they couldn't believe it. So definitely well, a difference in temperature and weather all the way around. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't miss uh, Alaska, Alaska apple seed uh, for the world. It was wonderful. Good well, it sounds like everybody is really excited up there. How many folks did you have at the, uh, the second event? I think there was a total of 38. I think that's right. I'll have to double-check numbers on the uh, after-action report. I think I posted them there. But um, I think we did have some drop-off with the idea that there was going to be some rain. Um, but uh, we still had both uh, both firing lines going and had everything from uh, from uh, actually ser- uh, servicemen 
guys that are serving our country right now to families and kids and moms and first-time shooters and experienced folks. So we had the we had the full spread. Well, that that is a problem I found uh, with. You know, we always talk about the apple seed going on in any kind of weather, and it does. But uh, if you have bad weather leading into the event, then, <laughs> then a lot of folks, they know that we're going to go on anyway. And uh, I think that they don't they want to try. And uh, some of the folks say, you know what, I, I really don't want to go through that. Uh, and they pull out. Now, the folks that I've had who uh, – who've come to the events and, you know, it was good weather until the middle of the event and it started raining, whatever. Uh, the majority of the folks, I'd say 99 out of 100 folks, uh, have always stayed through the weather, which has always surprised me, but they have. They've stayed and they've, uh, they've you know, they've battled it out uh, with all the rest of us. But if it was raining Friday night before the event, it was raining Saturday morning, then uh, it was a lot harder to get folks to show up. So I'm sure that uh, that the folks there in Alaska knew that if it was pouring down rain, then uh, they didn't want any part of that. Well, I don't know so much that. I'll tell you honestly, the, the, we had the, 39 out of the, the prescribed 50 that signed up as a sold-out event. Right, and uh, as is typical with a lot of the events, is uh, the folks that were signed up as free tended to be the ones that didn't show up. So I always ask folks that if you would look, there's lots of people that want to go to these uh, sold out apple seeds, and if you've signed up as free and you've decided that you're not going to come, please do the courtesy to uh, unregister so that we can open up those spots for the good folks that actually want to attend and, and feel that the event sold out. Right. Right, and I hope that folks will take that uh, will take that to heart because that is a problem sometimes. Because the folks, especially like you say, the folks that are attending events free, uh, and and we love to have those folks in there, whoever they are, the uh, uh, law enforcement, the military, the women, the kids, and stuff like that. Anybody who's attending free or at a reduced cost, we want them to come, but we also would like them to to treat the uh, the event respectfully, and uh, if they're not going to come and they registered, uh, go ahead and send a, a message in and uh, let us know that uh, that you won't be attending so that we can open those slots back up to folks. Yeah, absolutely. So we went, we went ahead and had uh, four of our good instructors down here from uh, from California went up to Alaska. We had uh, myself, Canwell Jr., and uh, Savage Shooter, and uh, four posterity. Went ahead and jumped on airplanes and flew on up there and uh, went and checked out the range, made sure we were all ready to go. I'll tell you that uh, Birchwood Shooting Center is absolutely one of the, the prettiest and nicest run ranges. There's a gentleman up there by the name of Dale Andrews that runs the uh, range, uh, rifle range up there, and he just does a wonderful job. Everybody I talk to that are members of the club mentioned how much the range has changed since Dale Andrews has, has picked up the reins and, uh, and and took the position there. And he's doing a real great job. In fact, uh, you know, the, the hours of daylight were already less there in Alaska this time of year. And so when we showed up there at 7 in the morning to set up the range, it was it was dark. It was night. Fortunately, they had uh, the main range we were using had uh, lights on it, so we went ahead and picked the lights on and, and proceeded to get set up. And then Dale showed up and, and gave us the target backers out of the shed and helped us put all those on and just a real friendly guy and real helpful. Just good good folks, you know. 
any uh, of the uh, uh, I was just going to say any of the uh, uh, Alaskan folks have we been able to sign up any of them as uh, uh, instructors in training yet? Oh, absolutely! In fact, we have we had several of them that came out and helped us uh, teach that weekend. Uh, Josh Holloway, who was uh, who was our first rifle or our first civilian rifleman, I should say, up there, um, he uh, he's done a great job in promoting the shoots and the events up there. And he was scheduled to come up, but it just so happens, uh, actually, just got a uh, message from him not too long ago that uh, in fact they just had their baby, him and his wife Britt. Uh, just gave birth to uh, Esther Rose Holloway. So he couldn't attend the shoot. Uh, his wife was going into labor that, that particular weekend. Uh, but uh, but we did have uh, USA SOF, which is Daryl. He came out, and, and uh, he's a new IIT there in Alaska. We also had Eagle River. Uh, they came out. That's Chris. He came out and uh, helped us teach. We also had Kay Lee. Who came out? She's just wonderful. We were working on her range voice. She's a really, really quiet person. But I tell you, by the end of uh, Sunday, she was really belting out the line, line command. So she did real well. And we had Packer Fan was also out there, who's a who's an Alaska IIT that was giving us a hand. Uh, we had Raffin, who actually was the first Alaska person that I know of that came to an apple seed. He actually flew down to uh, Las Vegas for I think a convention of some kind. I don't know if he called in. He can tell you the story better than me, but. He came down to Vegas and then went to the apple seat there that we had set up in Las Vegas. He met Lalo Pro and several of the other California instructors that are helping out at the Las Vegas shoots. <clears throat> and uh, he helped us to promote the first Alaska apple seat. In fact, he was really beneficial in pointing out the range so that we can go ahead and uh, contact the range and set up the event there. But he came out Saturday to help. And so we had a really good uh, showing of, uh, of Alaska IITs from uh, from the previous, from the first shoot, of the folks that were willing to step up and help out, so we've got uh, we've got quite a team growing there. I'll tell you, I have really high hopes for these folks. They're really down to earth and and very willing and interested in, in becoming involved. Uh, so far, we have uh, I think a total of ten IITs in Alaska out of these two shoots, and uh, these folks seem pretty excited. I'm been contacting them to set up an instructor's boot camp for March of next year as we already have a uh, an event set up for Chugiak for the April 19th weekend. In fact, we've already got four upcoming shoots booked at the Birchwood Range. Uh, one is the April 19th weekend. We have one coming in June 23rd and 24th, August 25th and 26th, and October 20th and 21st, all of 2012. So wow. that's a, that's our our first uh, step into Alaska, and like I said, the good folks at the Birchwood Range uh, allowed us uh, this, this beachhead there, as it were. But uh, you know, we're looking for other other events and other ranges that we could spread out to. I'm uh, looking currently at a uh, at another range a little farther up the coast. I'll be contacting them tomorrow, and uh, maybe maybe down the down the peninsula the other direction. So if any folks out there that live in Alaska, whether it's IITs or folks that uh, went to the apple seed, or if you had, even if you hadn't gone to the apple seed and you want to see one closer to your house and you have a range near you, uh, please uh, go ahead and, uh, and and give us a holler, and we'll uh, we'll see about getting that set up in your area up in Alaska. I want to make this program grow the way I think it surely can and should in that wonderful state. 
Okay. Well, let me bring on uh, let me bring on one of your buddies. We got uh, Mooseneck on another line here. Mooseneck, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Hey, how you doing, so you got Bob? Your, you got your Skype hey, going tonight. You say that again? I'm sorry. Did you got your Skype going tonight or on your call? No, I'm, I've got I've got the telephone going. Uh, uh, my Skype, my computer's acting real kind of crazy. So if I drop, forgive me, but um, it's just been acting up on me. I've been having a hard time listening tonight, but I'm glad to finally be here. Well, welcome to the show. Now, were you at the uh, at the last event? Absolutely, I wouldn't have missed it. And uh, Bob and Savage and and Mark and uh, Cam did an outstanding job along with the uh, IITs. It was as much fun as the one back in July, if not more so. Well, excellent. You know, if I, I don't know for some reason I didn't know that uh, Savage went to the to this shoot, but I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that she did. And con- and thanks and congratulations. Savage shooter for for going to this was Savage at the first shoot. Yes, she was. Man, well, well, thanks, Savage. Now, and for I understand that uh, uh, that she is heading out to the first uh, Hawaii shoot too, right? She was at the first Hawaii shoot. Yeah, that already happened. Uh, that's what I mean. The, the first Hawaii shoot. Uh, well, there you go. There's another just another example of the. Uh, California Appleseed folks uh, expanding their boundaries, and uh, and thanks to thanks to Savage uh, for going for the two extremes uh, in Appleseed weather and climate from uh, Hawaii to Alaska. Yeah. Well, you know the story behind that, yeah. She went there with Johnny Appleseed, you know. That's her bow. And since Johnny won't fly anywhere, it was much cheaper to have them drive to Hawaii than fly, so they went to <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, listen. Was the was what was the weather like for the shoot? Was did it rain during the shoot? Well, I just said Saturday uh, it wasn't too. Well, go ahead, Bob. You tell us. Well, I was I was just going to say on uh, on Saturday it was it was actually fairly nice. Um, wasn't sunshine. It was it was overcast, but it was dry. Um, uh, you know, and it was it was pretty warm out. Uh, so it, you know, as far as Alaskan standards for this time of year go, so it was nice. Uh, Sunday, Sunday we got a little bit wetter. Um, uh, the chill kind of creeps in when you're when you're wet. So, uh, but Bob, you did a pretty good job. I noticed when you were out there talking to all of us, uh, you were getting uh, a little bit wet. <laughs> yeah, soak into the old shooting jacket a bit. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about the uh, being able to wear the shooting jacket. Unfortunately, instead of the California shoot, it's usually too hot to put the shooting jacket on. And so I kind of enjoyed having it on, and I didn't break out the uh, the apple seed red rain poncho. I probably ought to. But don't worry, the jacket's dry, and I didn't lose any of the patches. That's what's important. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that I, I thought that when you guys were when I asked you about the weather, I thought that uh, <clears throat> Mooseneck was kind of doing his rendition of. Uh, Remember the movie Braveheart when uh, he asked that girl to go out for a ride and it's pouring down rain and they said, "Oh, it's not really raining. You know, the rain's coming straight down. It's not at a slant or anything." Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and what about uh, on Sunday? Was it raining again on Sunday? Yeah, Sunday was Sunday was uh, a good bit wetter. Um, uh, 
you know, luckily at Birchwood, you know, it's a nice facility, so we, you know, they have uh, covered lines there, so that makes it a lot easier uh, rather than just getting soaking wet out in the dirt. But I got a feeling probably most of the people there would have stayed anyway. Right, right, and like I said, you know, when when people, I think they take it as a point of honor, a point of pride, that they're staying there no matter what. I mean. And one of the best cases I saw of this, so, uh, now I, I'm sure that the Alaskan folks were no different, was at a uh, uh, was at a shoot here in Texas. You know, we had a a brand new uh, firing line. It was set up over in College Station, but they had miscalculated. Uh, the dozer guy had miscalculated. So when we measured the from the firing line out uh, to the shooting positions. We actually ended up there on Saturday morning with uh, we were laying on a slant because we were actually in the ditch. So our legs, uh, you know, from the waist down were at a pretty good angle in the ditch that the dozer guy had just uh, cut in there. Well, sure enough, it started raining. And, uh, geez, by the end of the day Saturday, and it wasn't uh, it was a pretty fairly cool rain. By the end of the day Saturday, uh, you would see the the lower bodies of the people on the sh- on the firing line were submerged, you know, from the from the back oh, to the thighs down. They were underwater, and uh, and they all stayed. And uh, I tell you, it it surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me anymore. I mean, it surprises me when I first look at them. I go, what are they doing? Why are they here? This is crazy. But then I but I expect it now. I expect them. To be proud and to be, uh, you know, to to be resilient and and not to run at the first sign of inclement weather, and uh, and they don't. And uh, I'm always very very proud of the folks who attend Apple Feet events. Uh, I will say that I'm glad that I wasn't. Uh, I, I want. I, I, I'm sorry that I wasn't with you guys in Alaska, but I'm glad that I wasn't in the cold rain. Well, I'll tell you, the Birchwood Birchwood Range really is outstanding. In fact, from the first time we were there to the second time, they had done such great range improvements. Uh, Most of the range from the the firing line sloped down to the target line, probably a good two or three feet. And it was fairly, you know, rocky. When I mean rocky, there was boulders, you know, up to bigger than fist size, kind of strewn like rubble rubble all over the range. And they actually, since we, we were there last, imported enough base to bring those firing lanes up to level. That's a lot of dirt. Wow. And uh, they've got wonderful covered mines. Like I said, everything's lit up. I mean, really, it it, it really wasn't that hard to, to stay and, and have a great time at that range. I just I can't say enough about it. It's a wonderful place. I know. I, I love it. Um, I'm a member out there, so I shoot out there quite a bit. And um, the improvements that they've done have been incredible. I mean, Dale has done a whole lot. Um, And they've been moving dirt and whatnot for, you know, a good couple, three months now, getting those things in that kind of shape. And uh, now they're just, they're absolutely beautiful. You don't hear near as many ricochets and whatnot. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) Well... Uh, I'm really excited. I'm really proud of the folks in Alaska. 
uh, jumping onto this because it because you guys seem like you're going to do uh, well, just like they did in California. Like you guys are going to uh, to hit this thing running and and build up a good group between the last two shoots. Uh, I guess we're talking around. Uh, let's see how many about 75, 85 folks that have attended so far. Yeah. Uh, no, but we had 50 the first time. Uh, we were right at 51 or 52, and we had 39 the second time. So we're at about 90 folks between two shoots so far. Perfect. Yeah. So this is uh, it's coming on at a pretty good clip, and and so I was, uh, you know, when I was asking about the uh, the instructors, that's what I was hoping uh, to hear when you said that you had uh, 10. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear. That uh, uh, that out of those, uh, out of that group of folks that you've had attend so far, that you got uh, ten IITs, which is which is really doing a great job on uh, on kickstarting uh, the instructor group there. Yeah, yeah I, think they, I think they're going to be really great. Um, you know, I look forward to, you know, next year or the coming year, uh, seeing all of them, uh, you know, really jumping into the um, uh, driver's seat with this thing. And, you know, it, it makes me proud to see, you know, our people uh, uh, picking up the reins like that. I mean, they're doing a fantastic job. Um, and with with uh, the range and everything the way it is, uh, I see nothing but more and more people coming out. The word's really getting out. Uh, the April shoot, uh, I'll go on to say that I, I bet it sells out again. And um, the one thing about April is, is that uh, everybody's starting to c- crawl out of their cave in April, and they've got cabin fever bad. So that's going to be that. That ought to be a hoot. That's a real good one. Well, when is the uh, when does the the mosquito season peak out? Because I want to make sure that I don't accidentally uh, list myself in for that that time. You know, it, it really depends on how much rain you have and what the winds are doing. Like, um, was it two nights ago? I had seventy mile an hour winds here at my house in Anchorage, so it, it just. It just depends. Um, you know, there have been years when, like this past year, was not bad at all in the Anchorage area uh, for mosquitoes. You know, three years ago, I remember, it was horrifying. I mean, you couldn't go out into the yard. So it, it kind of depends. Worst time, if, if you had to ask me, would probably be July. Um, but then again, you know, that's, that's the start of the rainy season, typically is uh, middle of July right in that area right up until, you know, right now where we're going in the freeze up and then the snow, any snow that uh, falls now will probably start sticking. Well, uh, you know, I, you typically you think of Alaska and you don't think about uh, mosquitoes. You think, whoa, snow and stuff <laughs> like that and icicles, you know, and grizzly bears and stuff. But I remember seeing a documentary, uh, well, it's been quite a few years ago now, but they showed they were showing a guy and he was uh, he was like in profile and it looked like he had a beard you know like he had uh, like a week's growth of beard and he waved his hand in front of his face and they all lifted off and flew off for a second and then came back and uh, that's how many mosquitoes there were and they said that they could actually cause uh, like anemia uh 
you know, for the folks and the animals and stuff like that. I think some of the people were actually, uh, I remember reading some accounts of folks covering their bodies in, uh, uh, like, pine pitch and evergreen pitch so that they wouldn't be uh, eaten alive by the mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, now, there there are areas where they'll get that bad. I've been, you know, uh, uh, I work for the uh, USGS, and, uh, you know, I've been out on, on job sites, you know, that would be out on muskeg, and you take a step, and the ground just literally lifts up, and it's just mosquitoes hovering up, and once they find you, it's all over. And then you have uh, the biting flies and bite, the biting midges and whatnot, like the white socks. Those are worse than the mosquitoes, if you ask me, because they just bore into you, and you don't see them until they're, you know, halfway into your arm. It's They're just terrible little things. Oh, man. Okay. So, July. I just want to make sure that I'm not – I don't accidentally uh, sign up for uh, for Mosquito Day. You come in April or June, you'll you'll definitely be set. <laughs> okay. That's, that is like grizzly attack. Uh, month right, <laughs> they they come out of their hibernation to attack. So that's perfect. I'd that's, rather have these grizzlies than the mosquitoes. That's that's generally uh, yeah. April is, is kind of getting a little bit bearish. Uh, you'll you'll see them start crawling out of their holes and whatnot. Well, what about uh, the uh, other locations? You've got the Chugiac now, and what about uh, the, was I reading about a second location in Alaska? Actually. That's what I wanted to bring up while I got you on the phone there, Bob. Have you ever heard of the uh, the Upper Susitna Shooters Association in Talkeetna? Uh I've heard of it. I don't know much about it, but I have heard about it. I think I'm going to try to contact Would you like me to look into that? Yeah, I'm going to look into it and see if those folks uh, might be interested in Appleseed. If, if you could do that on the ground there, too, that would be great. What other uh, ranges uh, that are, that are you know, a couple hours or so away from uh, from Birchwood that, that we could spread to? Well, there's always um, there's a Rabbit Creek range here in town. Um, it's nowhere near what Birchwood is, but, um, uh, you know, it, it, it sees a lot of activity. Um now, as far as other ones, I'm trying to think. Um, there used to be one in Soldotna down on the Kenai Peninsula, or right outside of Soldotna, and I'm trying to remember what what the name of that place was. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll look into it, because actually I had a, a buddy of mine ask me if y'all were planning on going to Juno, and I said, well, you know, you give me the name of a place, and I'll, I'll get in touch with people, and, uh, uh, you know, they can get in touch with the range. So, now the only problem with Juno is is that the only way in there is flying or boating. Wow. Well, listen, you, you mentioned know, uh, the, you mentioned the, the second range in Chugiak, right? Well, it's actually in, it's actually in um, uh, Anchorage. Actually, it's oh, just in Anchorage? Oh, a couple okay. of blocks from my house. Oh, okay. I was going to say that if there was an additional range in Chugiak, you might want to go ahead and talk to them now too about. Uh, about the April shoot there because you guys might get enough that you that you'll need some overflow, but uh, but hopefully by April you'll have another uh, location signed up too. That's what we're looking to do. Yep, and and Bob, I'll I'll definitely I'll start making some phone calls and seeing. I've got I've got some friends up in Fairbanks that can um, pound the pavement for me up there, that, and they're all hunters and whatnot. So um, I'm sure they'll have ties into it, and I'll I'll get back to y'all. 
That'd be great, okay. yeah. Bob, you know what? You know what we're kind of looking for as far as size wise and that kind of thing. Yep. So anything you can Absolutely. get information on, like that, please pass it on, and we'll go ahead and contact those good folks to see if we can set up another shoot. Outstanding. What about uh, the uh, military presence at the last shoot? Did they have a good showing? We actually had, uh, I think, about three three guys that were actually uh, guys that were serving. And we had uh, probably four or five that have served. Uh, so we definitely had that presence. Uh, one of our IITs is uh, actually two of our IITs are, are, are pretty good ends with the uh, military. So they're actually looking in right now to make some connections on, on setting up uh, possibly a, a military apple seed on the base. Perfect. So we've got USA uh, SOF and uh, Eagle River are both uh, – ex-military and, and have connections there with the, with folks on base that are so active. So uh, they're, they're going to be talking to those folks and hopefully getting back to us. And, uh, and maybe I can uh, wrangle Bolt Gun 71 into, uh, into helping us uh, set up our first uh, actual military apple seed there uh, in Alaska. It would be pretty outstanding. Yeah, that would be great because, because there are so many troops there and, uh, and, uh, and we would like to make sure that we are reaching out to them, you know, as well as to the uh, civilian population. Absolutely. Do the uh, do the military hunter the uh, military folks there, like here in Texas, you know, if you're in the military, then you have uh, then you can hunt on the military bases. Do the do they do the same thing there in Alaska? As far as I know, they are they they do um, up at up in the Fairbanks area in Delta Junction. I'm trying to think. They have I know they have a um, a moose bow hunt um, uh, on Fort Rich, Elmendorf. I don't think there's anything. And then again, it, you can always you know shoot small game uh, and birds. You know you, they've got uh, uh, spruce hens and rough grouse and. And uh, ptarmigan and that kind of stuff, you can you know you can shoot those all day long. Um, but for the big game, at least in around Anchorage, uh, you know, well we have our combined uh, base uh, Elmendorf Fort Rich here, and I think I think it's a bow hunt. It may be a muzzleload um, moose hunt as well, but I know it's it's permit only, and it's a you know people love to get that one because it's it's. It's you know right there on the base. They've got roads and stuff because the biggest problem that we have is uh, is roads. There's there aren't any. I mean most people don't realize you know they, or don't think about it. We don't have an interstate. <laughs> you know there is no interstate highway system. We've got one road that goes from north to south and it makes kind of a little donut in the middle and that's it. Right. Listen, guys. I want to bring on uh, Savage Shooter. Savage, welcome to the show. Hi, Scout. How are you doing? Hey, Savage. Hi, hey, Bob. Yeah. Um, there's a guy in the in the chat, um, two sixty four win, that posted something about a shoot further up the Matt Valley. There's a range at mile ninety four of the park. That's what he posted in the in the chat room. I don't know about that. Anything you know anything about that, Moose Neck? No, up the Parks Highway. At what, what mile? What mile post was that? He said ninety four. I think okay. that's the Talkeetna. That's that. Yeah, that's that's about the distance. Yeah, that that's probably uh, that's probably those folks. Okay. Yeah, that's the address I'm picking up off uh, off the uh, online listing, and that, that those are the folks that I'm actually going to contact this week. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, 
Very good. He said that he missed out on both shoots. They were full. I told him walk on and, you know, try for it anyway. Hey, yeah, I, I would suggest that. I would certainly suggest that because if you're really, if you're saying you really want to come to an event and uh, and we do have, uh, unless it's an oversold shoot, I mean, unless everybody and it's hard to tell, but if you have a lot of free folks, you're almost always guaranteed to have one or two places that you can that you can get in. So. Yeah, Savage, if you would just forward him my telephone number, have him give me a call. That's, okay. that's particularly the range I'm looking at. If he's got information about it, or I could, you know, maybe have him go and talk to the ranch would be even better. Well, he's listening. He just posted that it's the Upper Susitna Shooter Association. That's the one I'm <laughs> yeah, looking that's at. The one. Right, right, that's the <laughs> Perfect. Well, this is it's working out great here. Six now, miles south of Kalkina. All right. I saw you post, uh, Savage, that uh, that you ended up wearing your poncho all day Sunday. I did all day Sunday, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I got pretty wet in Washington when I was up there like two weeks before that, and I just didn't want to repeat performance, you know. Oh, man. What's you easy to find that way? I think the well, rain was following me around, you know. Well, you get that rain that rain sometimes that it's like it's just it's coming down it's not really that big a thing and, and so you're not really worrying about it and then all of a sudden you find yourself soaked to the bone and it's cold and you still got uh, four or five hours left to go and you're thinking man i i wish i would have uh put my poncho on or put my coat my gear on <laughs> yeah exactly well it's like they say up here uh cotton kills Yes. You definitely want to wear synthetics or wool, you know, if you're going to have any kind of, if you're going to be dealing with any kind of cold and wet. Yes, I agree, Moosebeck. It was really, it was really, um, it could have been a very chilling experience to be wet, too. So. Yeah, you looked like you were dressed okay for it. Yeah, it, it would have been, yeah, it, luckily it didn't get too cold or anything. I mean, it would have been nice if everybody could have gotten the icicle patch, but, um uh, you never know. April it, that could happen in April very easily. Yeah, yeah. And also, well, you know, I I, uh, I want to mention that we do have this instructor boot camp uh, going on. Um, looks like it's going to be the uh, weekend of March 10th and 11th. And uh, I talked to the good folks over there at the Birchwood Manor, which is a bed and breakfast that we stay at when we went up there. And in fact, down to the under at the bottom level of the uh, of the manor house, there they have a big dance floor area that they're going to allow us to actually do the IBC there at their manor house. And they have another separate room that's attached to it that has a PowerPoint presentation with a screen and a projector and the whole bit. So it sounds like this IBC there for March is going to be really, really outstanding. Yeah, that does sound well, good. And you can certainly tell all the rest of your the local crew and everything, Mooseneck, that uh, – and any of the rest of the Alaska folks who are listening, is that uh, is that something that you want to do? Is go to an IBC? Uh, I don't know. I don't doubt they're going to have any RBCs anytime soon there. But go to an IBC if you can to get a good jump on this because <clears throat> you can go to events and you can learn your your craft at events. It's just a lot harder because you're you're picking it up in dribs and drabs. When you go to an IBC. 
then you're going to get uh, you're going to get schooled, and you're going to be run through every single thing that you're going to do uh, at an event, other than shooting. But you're going to be run through every single uh, uh, bit of the instruction, so that you're able to instruct every bit of it, and that you have a good understanding of it. And, the, and you can catch that. Uh, you can get a good jump at an IBC. So. Make sure that uh, all of the the, uh, the local crews there that they are all aware of this, and that uh, you can get as many folks as you can to attend the IBC. I'm sure they all will. Well, yeah, I agree. It's the way to go. It's the way to learn. The you know of course the best way I think is the RBCs, but man, those are just a uh, they're a lot harder to do. It's a lot harder to to carve out eight days for folks, and uh, but uh, the IBCs are certainly the way to go as far as how to learn how to to, uh, to learn your trade, learn your craft, and learn how to instruct. Uh, you know, going to the events is great, and teaching at the events is great. It's just that usually you don't get to do every part of an apple seed at an event. You know, you get a couple of selected pieces, and you watch other people do it, so you're kind of learning by watching and stuff, but... Uh, as an IBC, you'll be run through every uh, every section of it, and you'll be able to get a jump on learning your your trade there. And that's going to be in March, Bob. Yeah, March 10th and 11th. I'm still waiting okay. for some feedback from some of the IITs because I want to make sure I'm, I got a date that I can get most of them to come. But uh, that's the that's the weekend that we're we're aiming for. Well, how soon, uh, Mooseneck, until you guys get serious weather? I'm thinking it's already at the end of October. You guys should. And like I said, in, in my in my mind, uh, in Alaska, you guys should already have two to three feet, you know. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. you go on a grading scale, and I'm seeing like I'm seeing that like by December and January, you guys have like twenty five or thirty feet. So by now, you should have at least two feet. <laughs> well, 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 that's actually pretty funny, Scott. We had a, I, I got contact from USA SOF on one of our IICs. We miss snow at the range by one weekend. Ah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you heard Moosnick say that's great. Bob saying, "Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> they got two, two, two differing opinions on snow there." <laughs> oh, well, man. we watch it come down the Chugach Range right here. The uh, folks here in Anchorage and over in Birchwood and Chugach and whatnot. You just watch it as it marches down the uh, uh, the mountains. And, uh, you know, they call it termination dust because it, it's pretty much it, when you start terminating all your outside projects. And, um, I mean, what, really, what you really notice is, is uh, the lack of light. Uh, that's what really kind of pushes along. The darker it gets, obviously, the colder it gets, um, and the more you really start feeling it. Um, and, you know, we're losing light, I think, at close to seven minutes a day now. So, you know, in a week. That really adds up. That's close to an hour in a week. Oh, and, man. Uh, you, you know, you start really, this time of year, you really start noticing it. And um, uh, so that's the big thing, I think, that everybody's starting to get hunkered down, and it's just a matter of when the right weather uh, pattern blows over. But, like, last night it it, it started getting chilly here in, in, in Anchorage. We plug in, they t- typically tell you plug in your car at uh, 20 degrees or lower, and, um my thermometer said we got down to 19 last night. Wow. Well, listen, guys, I hate to cut you off, but I'm sure you probably all heard the British lady in your ears uh, 
saying we've come to the end of the show. Thanks to everybody for calling in. Mooseneck, Savage, uh, Bob, Justin, all of you guys. Thanks. Uh, and thanks for the effort you guys are putting in to take the uh, to take the program into Alaska. All right. Good night, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next, next Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Time.